All right. Um, praise God. Let's uh, let's pray tonight. Brother Eric asked that we uh, pray. Brother, since we're broadcasting, she may not want her name uh, put out on, on the internet. So uh, anyway, just a, a, a need uh, for healing that Eric brought to my attention. So Father, um, we thank you for your hand upon this dear lady. We thank you, Father, for healing for her body. And Lord, we thank you for just, as we pray for her now, Lord, that you would uh, lay your hand upon her and, and touch her and and Lord, we, we believe, Father, that You're sending Your Word and, and healing our sister. And we thank You, Father, for working in her life. And Lord, we just agree together and call it done. And we thank You, Father, for the report and the testimony that, that we will hear uh, in, the, in the coming days, Father, uh, about You working uh, in, in this dear lady's life, Father. Thank You, Lord, for this time together tonight. Thank You for the men and women that are here in this room, those who are joining us online, Father. I thank You, Lord, for helping us bring our hearts to attention. Receive, Lord... Uh, with meekness and humility, uh, your engrafted word, Father, which is able to renew our minds, Lord, transform our lives. Father, thank you uh, tonight, not just for what you're doing in our lives, but Father, um, for what you're doing through our lives, what you're doing uh, and, and equipping us to do, rather, uh, to, to minister to and help others in the future. Lord, thank you for those who are new to the class tonight. I thank you, Father, for helping them, Lord, just uh, uh, catch, catch up, Lord, so to speak, in the spirit with the things that that we've already been, been talking about, and, and, and Lord, the heart and the, and the spirit and the attitude of these classes. We thank you for it and rejoice together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight is um, class number three. Amen. And uh, welcome again. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for your endurance. Amen. Remember, um, we have to endure sound doctrine. Praise God. And um, the more we endure, uh, our character builds and we grow in faith. And, uh, and it's a good thing. So praise God, I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, we're, we're talking about these things, and, and I'm not going to go back and try to review them all, um, but we're on our fifth point. If you're new to the class, um, these classes are recorded audio and video. Uh, they're on the church website, hccnow.org, uh, on my Facebook page, uh, Mark Winslet with two T's. Um, and we can even, if you'd like, we can get you a, a CD um, of the class. And uh, amen. So just lots of ways to get caught up without me taking 20 minutes to, to try to do that, right? But the fifth thing that we've been, uh, and we began this end of, of class last week, is we said that discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. So salvation is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Um, you were saved... Uh, for a purpose. If you've been born again, it wasn't just so that you could tell people you've been born again. It wasn't just for salvation's sake. You've been saved for a purpose. As a matter of fact, I think if we would begin to look at our salvation experience as a doorway into the life that God created us to live instead of just a destination that we've arrived at. Amen. Uh, when we were born again, um, a life became open and available to us that was previously unavailable. Amen. So when we talk about discipleship being the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny, um, every person in this room, you were given a destiny in Christ Jesus, a purpose in Christ Jesus, and grace to carry that purpose and destiny out in Christ Jesus before time began. I'll show you that verse again here in a few moments tonight. Right? So we were all born with a purpose and a destiny, and there's something in us, there's something in us that seems to know that. 
And you can hear folks that don't know God that talk about, man, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to find my way. I'm trying to find why I'm here. I know my life must be for some reason. And, and, and we have that inherent uh, uh, understanding. It's, it's almost like something that gnaws away at, at every human being. That there's a greater purpose for our existence. Sometimes that's communicated in, man, surely life's supposed to be more than this. Surely it, I, I was meant for more than this, right? And, and, and certainly the Bible confirms that those intuitions, those in, inherent uh, understandings are accurate. I believe those things exist in us uh, because we were created in the image and likeness of God. And because we were created in this image and likeness, there, there, there are certain things from Him that have been imprinted into us. And so again, you have a purpose and a destiny. Your best life is fulfilling that purpose and destiny. But someone who is not born again, this is someone who's spiritually dead, separated from God, therefore impossible for, for him or her to fulfill their God-given purpose and destiny. So when we're born again, that door now is opened. It was previously closed, now it's opened. Amen? And discipleship is the bridge that carries you from your salvation experience to the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Amen. This is why we need to understand discipleship. It's why we need to make a commitment of ourselves to this discipleship process and, and follow through on these things. Now, we ended with this point on last class, and so I want to begin uh, here again tonight, and that is every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Um, when we look at Ephesians 4, where the Scriptures uh, spell out to us the ministry offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, many times we look at those offices and we think, well, those are the ministers. Those are the men and women that's supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. And everybody else in the body of Christ is just supposed to be, you know, enjoying themselves, but not really doing much of the work of the ministry. Well, no wonder we haven't got this world saved yet. No wonder we haven't got this gospel preached um, to every creature yet, right? If we're, if, we're, if we're looking at this from the perspective of only those who operate in one of those five ministerial offices as being called to do the work of the ministry, that's a very small portion of the overall labor force in the body of Christ. Okay? So, again, it's not just the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle, and the prophet. As a matter of fact, what we see in Scripture is the men and women who fill those offices, their assignment is to, what does it say in verse number 12, Ephesians 4.12? Their assignment is uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. And we're not going to read that whole portion. It'll, it'll probably be a couple of months that we'll come back to and, and, and break down some things in that passage. But here, again, this is a very accurate, if you go to a literal translation even, it's a very accurate translation of the original text. And what a lot of people try to do is they try to put a comma um, right here uh, meaning what? That the, the, the I'll just say pastor, all five. But the pastor um, is to equip the saints and the pastor is to do the work of the ministry, right? No, that's not what it says. 
The pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen. In other words, my assignment as a pastor is to take born-again believers and equip them to do the work of the ministry. Amen. It's getting quiet in here. That's okay. Uh, It's probably getting quiet in people's living rooms, right? You know, they're watching online. But this, this is the reality of it. Remember we talked a little bit about reconciliation and how reconciliation is when we bring our thoughts and understanding into alignment with God's thoughts and understandings? Amen. And so we've got to have our Father's perspective on this. You say, well, the church doesn't look at it that way, Pastor Mark. Well, our Creator Father does. The head of the church, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He's the head of the church. This is how He looks at it. Amen. And so we need to understand this. And this is, please, this is not about me trying to shirk some responsibility or, or, you know, it's not my job, it's your job. That's not my heart. And I don't think anybody in here is hearing that. But also, this is not about heaping something on you that, you know, it's like, well, you know, trying to give me all this responsibility. I, you know, I didn't sign up for that, blah, blah. See, again, that's ignorance talking. Because doing the work of the ministry is the sweet spot of life. Doing what you're on this earth to do with the people that you're called to do it with and the place that you're supposed to be doing it in. Amen. When you're supposed to be doing it. My friend, when you start getting all those things lined up, this, this is the, the, your best life. This is that sweet spot of life. Amen. Now, praise God. Let me, let's do this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. All these are really important verses, but I, I don't want to get you bogged down in verse after verse after verse after verse after verse, and, and, and you kind of get tired on me and miss the bigger picture, all right? So let's go to Luke 4. But, but the reason we're looking at Luke 4 is because I'm wanting you to see that, that Jesus' assignment, which is spelled out beautifully here in Luke, the fourth chapter, Jesus' assignment has now been passed along to you and me. Okay, and I'll, I'm going to show you that in Scripture. It's not just my opinion. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Alright, so Luke chapter 4. Let's begin at verse number 16. It says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now stop right here and look at me for a moment. All right? A couple things I want to point out to you. First of all, this was Jesus' custom. Or we could say it another way. This was His routine. Or we could say it another way. This is what He did every time He went to a synagogue. This was what He read. This this was the pattern that He followed. He took the scroll from Isaiah. He opened that scroll. He read the words that I'm going to read to you here in a moment from that scroll. And He made the announcement that He made. Right? He did this everywhere He went. He was announcing to the people who He was. He was announcing to the people what He had been empowered by God to do for them in their lives. Alright? Now, the next thing that I want you to to see here, and this is very important, is that Jesus, verse 17, He found Himself in the Scriptures. He found the part of God's Word that was speaking of Him. He found the places in in the Bible, and by the way, the Bible that Jesus read from is what we would call the Old Testament, right? But He found Himself in all of those Old Testament prophecies. 
he realized that those verses were, were speaking of him. Why is that important? It's important because, my brother, my sister, it's time for you to find yourself in the Scriptures. Amen. Your king has spoken and he's had some things to say about you. And you need to find yourself in the Scriptures. You need to find the parts that are speaking not just to you, but that, that are identifying, that are speaking about you, that are, that, are, that are laying things out that are true about who you are. Amen. Remember, one of our definitions for discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so in the same way that Jesus found Himself in the Scriptures, we need to find ourselves in the Scriptures. Alright? So this was His custom. This was the routine. This was what He did in every synagogue that He went to. These were the verses that He read from the prophet Isaiah. Verse number 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, in every synagogue, there was a chair that was reserved for the soon coming Messiah. That chair was um, placed there as a, as a symbol, but it was also placed there uh, to express um, expectancy uh, before Jehovah that they believed His promise was going to be fulfilled, that the Messiah was coming, that they had made preparation for the Messiah, and they even had a chair ready for Him to come and sit down in their midst when He arrived. That chair was special. You could even say it was sacred. You could even say that you know there was no one ever sat in that chair. No kids ever played on that chair. You follow what I'm saying? Amen. And that chair was there. So when Jesus, again, this was His custom. Every synagogue had one of these chairs. Jesus read the prophecies that were clearly speaking of the Messiah. He rolled it up. He handed it back to the attendant. He sat down in that chair. He sat down in that chair and He said, today, right, um, these Scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. It's not recorded here, it's in Mark 6. He said, today's the day. Today's the day you've been waiting for. Right? What was He saying? He was saying everything the prophet Isaiah said would come to pass one day is now available to come to pass in your lives. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me, and this is what He has anointed me to do. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty to those who are oppressed. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is referring to um, a, a Jewish uh, law, a Jewish tradition, the law of Jubilee, which um, so many years would pass, and then there was the 50th of the 50 years, and, and when that would happen, that 50-year jubilee would happen, um, all debts would be erased. Um, if property had been lost through foreclosure, it would be returned back to its rightful owner. The acceptable year of the Lord was like pressing a giant socio-economic, spiritual, whatever else, reset button. Okay. Now, Jesus is our jubilee because the whole of the Old Testament is revealing Him to us. And so this promise of jubilee, amen, 
that we really don't have any record of them ever doing what God instructed them to do where Jubilee was concerned, right? But this promise of Jubilee was fulfilled in Jesus. Or let me say it another way, is fulfilled in Jesus. He's the restorer. Come on now. He's the restorer of all things. Your Messiah, your Savior, our beautiful Jesus, our beautiful Lord, He didn't just come to save you. He came to bring restoration into your life, to restore to you the years that sin and foolishness and rebellion stole from us. Amen. So Jesus proclaimed this. Now, I'm not much of a politicker and I'm not here to politic tonight, right? But if you're familiar with politics, um, candidates, let's just say a presidential candidate, they have something called a platform. Anybody ever heard that expression? Their platform. Their platform is going, is going to uh, contain planks, right, of what they're running on, right? So if it's, a, if it's a presidential candidate that is a pro-life candidate, then they will have a pro-life plank in their platform. If they believe in health care for all, they'll have a health care for all plank in their platform. Are you following what I'm saying? Right? This is, if you will, the ministry platform of Jesus. Everything that Jesus came to do for us is somehow covered in this prophecy from Isaiah hundreds of years before. Even when it talks about recovery of sight to the blind, this is talking about both the physical loss of sight as well as the spiritual loss of sight. So again, this would be the ministry platform of Jesus. Amen? Alright, now go with me to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. Remember the statement I made a moment ago. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Maybe I ought to reorder these things, reorganize these things. But I'm going to show you in Scripture where the assignment that was originally given to Jesus has now been handed off like a baton to you and me. Alright? So just stay with me. because we, Let me say it another way. While we're here, let me say it another way. If this is the ministry platform of Jesus and the ministry platform of Jesus has now become our ministry platform, and every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, then we should be binding up the brokenhearted. We should be allowing Father God to use us to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are bound. Are you following what I'm saying? Amen. And even using us to proclaim jubilee, amen, in people's lives and families. Well, I hope you're getting stirred up about that because it gets me really stirred up, okay? All right, now, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8, all right? It says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, I don't want to... Praise God. Will you, will you promise me that you'll hang around even if you, like, graduate the foundry and move to Alaska or something? Will, will you promise me you'll let me explain this verse to you in great detail at some point in the future, all right? Because people look at this and say, well, man, you know, I sinned today. I guess that means I'm of the devil. No, that's not what this is saying, all right? If you, if you read 1 John very carefully, you'll see that if you've been born again, you're not going to choke on this, are you? If you've been born again, you cannot sin, okay? All right, now, I, you, say, you say, let me tell you what Pastor Mark said. If you're going to go tell somebody that I said that, don't tell them Pastor Mark said it. Tell them the Word of God said it. Amen, right? Alright, so, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Don't get caught up in that right there. It's going to take some explaining to do, but I promise you, we will explain it from the Scriptures. Alright? Here's the part I want you to see. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Okay? 
for this purpose. Now remember, every person in this room has a purpose. Every person in this room has an assignment. Every person in this room has a destiny. Every person in this room is a born-again believer. You've been called to do the work of the ministry. What exactly does that look like? What exactly does that mean, doing the work of the ministry? Well, it's the ministry platform of Jesus. And we see that Jesus' purpose, right, which has now become our purpose, Jesus' purpose, He was manifested, He was brought to the surface, He was revealed for this purpose, right, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Now, this word destroy, it means more than probably what most people in this room think it means. Destroy, I mean, I hear destroy, I think well, if I was going to destroy that table, take a sledgehammer to it and beat it to smithereens or something like that, right? Amen. All right, so we've got issues with um, Mevo here. Let's see what we can do. Praise God. Amen. All right, those watching online, nobody sent you a text or anything, Pam? Praise God. Wow, man, we just dropped the whole thing here. Amen. And we were on a roll. Praise God. You still with me? All right, all right. let's get this right here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I see what happened. We pause for this commercial interruption, whatever we're saying here. All right, praise God. Don't you love technology? Praise God. All right. We are back up and at it. Amen. All right. I apologize for those of you who lost us on Facebook. And I apologize for walking out of the screen there. Amen. Praise God. All right. They can't hear me because I don't have the audio plugged up yet. Okay. We are back. Amen. <laughs> Now, I'm just, you know, sometimes I talk about it in class, you know, when you find yourself in a situation that you've been in before, but you're responding differently. Man, stuff like that used to stress me out. I am, I am just so chillaxed right now. Praise God. All right. Amen. So we were back up and running. All right. So, one more time. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So I looked over there at that table to use it as an example that if I was going to destroy that table, that's when I realized that we weren't broadcasting anymore, right? I would think of like just smashing it maybe with a sledgehammer or something like that, and I've destroyed the table. It's really not what it means. This word destroy means to undo. To undo. So clearly somebody somewhere produced the work that is now that table. If I was to undo that work, completely undo it, right? I wouldn't just take it apart. It would be for me to take every part of that table that now looks like a table and return it back to where it came from. I would completely undo it. This word can also mean, maybe this will help you, it, it can also mean dissolve. Dissolve it. Right? So let's say I took that table and I just put it in a big old vat of acid and just dissolved it. Right? I destroyed it, but I didn't just, I didn't just break it apart or, or dismantle it. I have, I have dissolved it. Now here is, if you're wanting to really grasp the meaning of this word destroyed, it means like it never happened. 
just gone, right? And they would do this sometimes. There would, there would be times when the Roman Empire would so thoroughly conquer um, an area that they would literally remove any trace that that city or village ever existed. I mean, they would tear down every home and haul off the... the so that literally, you, you ever heard the expression, wipe them off the face of the earth? Okay, so like, like they were never there. Like it never happened, right? Now why am I telling you this? Because this is what Jesus came to do for us. He came to put you and me in a position before our Heavenly Father. Are you ready? Like sin never happened. Like what Adam and Eve did and the consequences that, that occurred in our lives because of that, it like that never happened. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, this is important right here. And I'm not trying to, to uh, frustrate any of you or, or antagonize any of you. But there, there are a lot of wrong uh, uh, beliefs in the body of Christ today when it, when it comes to what is from God and what is from the devil. Now, Jesus clearly identified the devil as the prince or as the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 identifies the devil as the God of this world. People love to say things like God is in control. Amen? But listen to me, please. That is, that is not accurate according to the Scriptures. Are you hearing me? Now, if you want to see where God is in control, God's in control in heaven. Amen? And, and this idea that God is in control of everything that happens on planet earth, the Bible simply does not support it. It is a popularly held religious belief perpetuated by the lies of the enemy, and he is a liar and the father of them, right? Because he wants us to somehow magically, deliciously believe that everything happens, whether it's good or bad on planet earth, is somehow something that God did, or somehow something that God willed. And that's simply not the case. And more to come on that later. But here is a classic example for me to once again make this point or reinforce this point. If Jesus went about destroying the works of the devil, how could we ever say the lepers He cleansed was a work of God? How could we ever say when He stood up in the bow of the boat and rebuked the storm... If that storm had come from God and He destroyed that, that work, then notice Jesus would have been rebelling against His Father. He would have been going against something His Father did. And my friend, that simply did not happen. It simply never happened. The truth of the matter is this. When Jesus rebuked storms, when Jesus cleansed lepers, when Jesus cast out demons, when Jesus opened blinded eyes, He was destroying the works of the devil, not the works of God. Amen. Oh, I, like just, I just like saying that. Because that's a big lie right there. The devil gets a lot of mileage out of that one. Amen. Amen. See, this is why we've got to commit things to God. The Bible says He's able to keep what you commit to Him. People are getting mad at God because He's not keeping for them things they haven't committed to Him. They're getting upset with God because He's not doing things in their lives that they haven't given Him place to do. Amen. Now, John chapter 14, verse number 12. Just trying to just hit you with some verses here tonight. Praise God. John chapter 14 and verse number 12. It says this. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Praise God. John 14 and 12. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, 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 what they said of, of Jesus was that he cast out devils by the prince of the devils, or Beelzebub, right? Which literally means Lord of the Flies, if you didn't know that, okay? And while we're here, let me just remind you, um, you can walk out in your backyard with, a, with a, a slab of ribs that's marinated overnight in a dry rub that's now become this beautiful crust that's about to go in the smoker, right? And you won't know there's a fly on planet Earth until you peel, peel back that foil, right? When you peel back that foil, the flies are attracted. And the same thing is in our lives. There are certain things that, that demons are attracted to. And there are certain things that angels are attracted to. Just saying. Amen. All right, now let's keep going here. So, again, he went on to say, you're exactly right, Michael. He went on to say that a house divided cannot stand. A house divided can't stand. And so God's not divided against himself. Jesus is not opposed to his father. Never committed a single act of rebellion against his father. Matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. Jesus didn't speak unless his father told him what to say, and he didn't act unless his father told him or showed him what to do. Amen. All right, John 14, 12, Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Alright? Now, a moment ago I said you've got to find yourself in the Scriptures. Alright? Here you are. He's talking to you. Amen. Most assuredly. Why would Jesus say most assuredly before he, before he said the rest of this? It's because He knew He was about to say something that most people were going to think to be impossible. He was about to say something that most people were going to think, no way, that can't be true, He must mean something else. Blah, blah, blah. So he says, listen, we would say it this way, for real. No joke. This is true, right? Amen. I'm not kidding you here, man. Most assuredly. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Any believers in the room? Has Jesus gone to his Father? Everything's in place right now for you and me. Amen. Now go with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, praise God, and verse number 18, John chapter 17 and verse number 18, thank you Father, John 17 and 18, it says this, as you sent me, this is Jesus praying and speaking to his Father, he said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, okay? As you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. So this is the passing of the baton. This is the passing of the baton. Jesus is taking His ministry platform and He's saying, Father, as you sent me, I'm sending them. Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the devil. You've been sent by Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Okay? Now, one more. I know you probably haven't got to that one yet. But let's rush through some of these if we could, please. Mark chapter 16. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 16, and we'll look at verse number, beginning at verse number 15. Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse number 15. Okay? Now, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm wanting you to see um, that, you know, when we say every born-again believer is called to do the work of the ministry, I'm, I'm wanting you to see your inclusion in this. That's not just a, a cool thing that pastors tell people who come to classes. Okay? This, this is the Word of God. And to be honest with you, I, we, I'm not even. I'm just. I'm just hitting some major verses here. There are many, many others that support this. We could spend a couple of weeks here just looking at verses, barely commenting on them, to reinforce this truth. Okay. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow the apostles. Is that what it says? And these signs will follow the specially chosen ones. Is that what it believes? Is that what it says? No, it says, these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick they will recover. Okay? See, there's a lie, again, that the enemy uses, and it goes something like this. The age of miracles ended with the age of the apostles. That somehow, you know, only the apostles were able to do these kinds of signs and wonders because we needed an extra oomph, a boost, if you will, to get the church going. But now that we got this thing rolling, we don't need that anymore. And that God doesn't do that anymore. And He doesn't work through people like that anymore. Well, that's just wrong. And, and, and again, it amazes me how a lie like that can not only gain traction in the body of Christ, but, but can continue as long as it has continued in spite of what these verses say. Now, let's, let's go back to it again. He said to them, who is the them here? The them that he's talking to here are the apostles. He's saying to these apostles, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Right? Okay? And now notice what he says, not that the apostles will do, but what those who believe on the Word the apostles preach will do. And these signs will follow those who believe. See, that, this whole idea that this is only for the apostles, and when the last apostle died, the last miracle went with them, that's ridiculous. He plainly said to the apostles, you preach, and then when them folks start getting born again, this is what's going to happen. They're going to cast out demons in My name. They're going to speak with new tongues in My name. They're going to take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He's talking about your hands. Your hands. Praise God. Amen. Now let me, let me put the brakes on here for just a moment. Alright? You see, one of the reasons that we just kind of dive headlong into this and... You, of, of everything that I'm going to have the opportunity to, 
to share with you and teach you um, over the you know course of the next 33 classes plus now. Um, this one part is, is one of the parts that the enemy fights the most. I mean, every year he's like, are you really going to do that again? I mean, come on, you're, over, you're going over everybody's head. They, 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 you know, that's, it's just okay. You know, they're going to think it's interesting maybe for a minute. But see, again, notice resistance. Hashtag resistance is real, right? The enemy is resisting this. He doesn't want me talking to you about this. He doesn't want you to know anything about this. He doesn't want you to know that you can lay your hands on sick people and they'll recover. He doesn't want you to know that you can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. He doesn't want you to know that, that, that you can speak with new tongues. He doesn't want you to know that. He'd rather you believe that that's just for the... Even if it is for today, it's not for everybody. Lie, 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 lie. That lying devil. Amen. Now there's another reason why we just dive headlong into this. Alright? And that's because when we hear every born-again believer is called to do the work of the ministry we tend to settle in on some simple service type of ministry. Some simple service type of a project. Now listen to me please, and do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Thank God for people who are willing to help take care of babies in the nursery. Thank God for people who are willing to help do things like take up the offering and serve communion and replace offering envelopes where people use them to, to pay their tithes and offerings and it leaves a blank spot under the chair. And so now somebody goes and puts those things back. All of that is ministry. All of that is service. And I'm so thankful for people who are willing to mow the grass at the church, who are willing to blow off the parking lot or, and, and do these kinds of things. Thank God for men and women who are willing to serve the Lord and minister to Him and His people by doing things of that nature. But the problem that I have, please hear me, is that when we hear ministry, we tend to only think of things that we can do with our own strength and ability. Listen to me now. We are not just another service organization. We are more than a key club or a Kiwanis club. And thank God for a key club and a Kiwanis club who does good deeds in the, in the community. I'm, I have no problem with that. If you think I'm speaking against that, I am not. But we are not just another service organization. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been anointed with the same Spirit He's been anointed with. We've been given the same glory that He was crowned with. We've been given the same assignment that He was given to go into all the world and preach the Gospel, to lay our hands on the sick, to speak with new tongues, to cast out devils, to do the works of Jesus by destroying the works of the devil. You ever seen in a, in a movie or a documentary or anything um, a radar screen? Let's say it's the, it's the radar screen of a, of a ship and, and, and it it's looks like there's, a, there's rings that go outward and there's a line that goes around, right? And if something comes within the radius proximity of that ship, it'll start going bloop every time it goes around. What it is, I think it's radio signals. That are, that are being sent out and those radio signals are bouncing off of an object. And when it comes back, it's a blip on the radar. It's a blip on the radar. Well, listen to me, please. Listen to me, please. 
The enemy is trying to steal this from the church. He's trying to steal signs and wonders from the church. And I, I tell you, if I know anything about the day and age in which we live, the apathy that I see, the lack of interest that I see, the, the self-centeredness that I see, it's going to require, are you hearing me? It's going to require some signs and wonders to get some people's attention. Paul said to those hard-headed folks in Corinth, I didn't come to you with, with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you with the power and demonstration of God's Spirit. Amen. Amen. See, when folks start getting healed, you start getting people's attention. Now it's just more, you know, it's more than just some religious baggage that we're trying to pass off onto people. But it's something that's got some life and some power and some, and some life-changing difference in it. Amen. And the devil's opposed to it. He's trying to steal this from the church. So you say, well, why are we talking about radar, Pastor Mark? Well, if, if, if this wasn't on your radar and it is now, we're going to call that a win for, for tonight. All right? But I'm, I'm wanting you to see this and understand this about who you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Alright, now, an eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. Father has more than a hundred year plan for your life. Amen. Your, 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 your purposes are eternal. And, and what that literally means is not just that they were, you know, will never end going forward, but that they actually began before you did. Okay? So an eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. I like to say it this way. You existed in the heart of God before you were formed in your mother's womb. Let me, read, let me read a verse to you. I don't have a slide for it, but I'm going to read this in three different translations. Rather than trying to turn to it, if you take a note, just write down this, this reference. Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16. Okay. Now I'm going to read this to you in three translations. First of all, the New King James. Your eyes, speaking of God's eyes, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet, there were none of them. That's the New King James Version. Now let me give you the Amplified. Psalm 139, verse 16 from the Amplified. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book, all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape, when as yet there was none of them. Okay? Now, Psalm 139, verse 16, this is from the Message Translation. Once again, same passage from the Message. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Okay? That's Psalm 139.16 in the New King James and the Amplified and then finally in the Message Translation. What is he saying? He's saying that 
God knew you and He fashioned your life out on a day-by-day basis before you ever lived a single day of your life. Now wait, hold, hold the phone now because I always, as, as beautiful as this is, if you're not careful, the enemy will jump in and you'll start getting upset with God. Well, why did he write that about, you know, that motorcycle crash? Or why did he write that? No, no, no. See, again, that's not, that day is not the day Father God wrote. You have to keep in mind, Isaiah 53 and 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way. And the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What am I saying? What am I, what am I, why am I, am I bringing that verse in with Psalm 139 and verse 16? Father wrote a beautiful plan for your life. We just decided to rebel against Him and write our own story. We decided to do our own thing. We decided to wave the middle finger of our life in His face and do what we wanted instead of submitting ourselves to Him and to His plan. So now that we've been born again, guess what? He's bringing us back into alignment with the plan that He wrote for us before we were ever formed in our mother's wombs. Amen. And of course, we can look at verse after verse, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. God's plans are good plans. Amen. We had days upon the earth in rebellion against Him that brought consequences into our lives that He never intended, never willed for us. That wasn't His will for us. That was our will for us. Amen? But now we're bringing our will back into alignment with and in submission to His will. Come on, can I get a witness on that one? We're aligning reconciliation, right? We're being realigned with our Heavenly Father and His purposes for our lives. Amen. Well, let's run through a few more verses. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Okay? That's Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 5. Notice, before He formed you in the womb, He knew you before you were even conceived. And before you were born... That word sanctified there um, literally means set apart for a specific purpose. So He knew you before you were formed in the womb. He set you apart for a specific purpose before you were born. We see another word, and that's that word ordained. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That word ordained means appointed. Or think of appointment. You were appointed to a specific time. I like to say it this way. You are who you are and you are when you are on purpose and according to His design. Amen. There's a reason why you weren't born in the 1800's. And should Jesus tell you there's a reason why none of us would have been born in the 2100's. Amen. You were born when you were born at a strategic time in history. Amen. Father knew you before you were born. Amen. He set you apart for a specific purpose before you were born. And He appointed you. Appointed you. Amen. Now, a verse that we shared on opening night, class 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Again, it says, "...who has saved us and called us with a holy calling..." not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us 
in Christ Jesus before time began. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. And notice, not only did He assign purpose to you and for you before time began, along with that purpose, He also gave you the grace that you were going to need in order to fulfill it. Man, that ought to get you stirred up right there. Praise God. Alright, now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. There's a lot of verses tonight. Every one of these classes is going to have a little different feel and flavor to it. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 8. Amen. Are you alright? You're kind of quiet on me. You get anything out of this so far? Alright, I'm, I'm just, again, we're, we're, we're making this case, alright? Let me, let me give you something to, to take with you tonight, alright? Matter of fact, won't you write this in your notes for those of you who are taking notes? From this night forward, Okay. From this night forward, I will live. From this night forward, I will live with a sense of destiny. From this night forward, I will live with a sense of destiny. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were no surprise to your Heavenly Father. From this night forward, I will live with a sense of destiny. A sense of destiny. Think about it for a moment. How, how, much, how much better will your life be tomorrow if you, if you wake up on planet earth realizing that your Creator Father knows who you are, knows where you are, knows why you are, has a purpose and a destiny for your life, and He has given the most precious things in heaven to you, the life of His Son for your ransom, and then put His Holy Spirit in you to help you fulfill your destiny. Reckon it would help us quit wasting our lives. Reckon it would help us give more scrutiny to the choices that we make. We give ourselves away sometimes so cheaply. Amen. We need to start living our lives with a sense of destiny. And a pursuit of that destiny. A pursuit of the fulfillment of that destiny. When I lead people in a prayer to receive salvation, one of the things that I normally have them confess towards the end of that, end of that prayer goes something like this. When time is no longer counted, on men's clock or calendar, I will be standing with you, Father, on the side of the winners. Amen. Because I will fulfill my destiny in your kingdom. We need to recognize that we have a destiny. We have a purpose. Man, it's so sad to me to see so many people living in hopelessness with no sense or direction left in their lives. They don't understand God who created them and the purpose that He has for them. 
angels to help us, the Word to help us, the, all of that, sister. You're so right. The resources of Father's kingdom to help us. The wealth of His kingdom to help us. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, verse number 8. What just happened there? Praise God. Amen. Well, we skipped verse 10, and that's the one I was trying to get to. Verse number 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. I'm going to see if I can go back and get that one. Praise God. I'm not sure what happened there. Alright, there's 8, 9, 10. It did this last year. I've got to quit doing that. Alright. Uh, for we are, if you follow along in the Scriptures, the one that we're really wanting to focus on is verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared the good works that we're all to do. God prepared them before we existed on planet earth. Let's keep reading here. Um, verse 8, to me, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Go over to chapter 3 with me. Um, for some reason, we just jump straight to chapter 3. Verse 8, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, to me who am, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10 is the key verse that I'm trying to focus on. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a lot of preaching here. A lot of teaching here. Let's just focus on the one verse that made it to the screen. okay? And that is, He has saved us. He has purchased us. He has given us this position in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, to the intent. You understand what intent means, right? Intent's not just what you do, it's why you do it. Why has He done this? What did God intend? What were His intentions? What was He hoping to accomplish by doing all of this? To the intent that now, right now, not tomorrow, now. If you read it tomorrow, it'll say now. Amen. To the intent that now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church might be made known by the church. Listen to me please. It's not enough for the manifold wisdom of God to be made known by Jesus to the devils and the powers of darkness. That's not the full plan of God. The full plan of God is not for Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. The full plan of God is for you and me to take the manifold wisdom of God and destroy the works of the devil to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Alright. I can, I can almost hear some of you... Right? That's stretching. 
We're getting stretched. Come on, stretch. Let's stretch. Amen? This was the plan from the beginning. This was the plan from the beginning. It's not enough. Remember when Jesus, those of you who were not here uh, last week, when the 70 uh, missionaries returned, the 70 missionary evangelists returned, and they were talking about how they preached the gospel of the kingdom and the sick were healed and that demons had been cast out and that they, they had, had done these mighty signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And Jesus jumped up in the air and spun around. It simply says He rejoiced greatly in spirit. But what that literally means in the original language is that He danced a jig. He kept jumping up in the air and, and doing 360s and landing back on the ground. He was so excited. He was so happy. Why? Because Father's intentions for you and me before He ever created Adam and Eve were once again being fulfilled. Human beings on planet earth were putting devils and demons in their place by the wisdom of God. This was the, verse 11, the eternal purpose. Amen? Oh, praise God. All right, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it. If not, I'll just read them to you. We could look at verse after verse after verse, but this is what we see as far as every born-again believer being called to do the work of the ministry. The Scriptures teach that we were created for ministry. The Scriptures teach that we were saved for ministry. The Scriptures teach that we've been called to ministry. The, the Scriptures teach that we've been gifted for ministry. The Scriptures teach that we've been authorized for ministry. The Scriptures teach that we've been prepared for ministry. The Scriptures teach that we've been commanded to minister. And the final one that's probably not going to kick up there is we will one day be rewarded. I'll go back. We will one day be re rewarded. That's the one that, for some reason this is leaving off the last line of every um, prepared for ministry, commanded to minister, commanded, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature was not a suggestion. Right? But then the final one that commanded the ministry to minister and then the last one that oh it did show up there. Praise God. It's not showing up here. I don't know why. Alright. You will be rewarded according to ministry. Did you know that? You will be rewarded according to ministry. Your righteousness is not based upon what you do, but your rewards are. Your right standing with God is not based upon your good works. Your right standing with God is not based upon what you do for Him. Your right standing with God is based upon what Jesus has done for you. But when we talk about rewards, your rewards are based upon what you do for Him. Alright, one of the things that I'm determined not to do in these classes is give you a whole bunch of statistics and these kinds of things. And, and I imagine some of these are outdated. This is a, an older statistic. It's one that has made the cut over the years because I just think it, it, it makes a point whether or not the numbers are exactly accurate. Um, if anything, I think it's probably worse than this now um, instead of getting better. But um, this was a Gallup survey that revealed only 10% of American church members are active in any kind 
of personal ministry. Only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. I'm concerned that number is less than that now. Okay. You ever seen like on the front of somebody's door they have a little bronze or brass plaque that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Maybe your grandmother cross-stitched that with some little butterflies or something got it on the wall or whatever. It's me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. What was that home interiors, ladies? Y'all remember the home interiors? You know, they sell uh, decor for your home and a lot of Bible verses and stuff on that, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you realize, like, coming to church is not serving the Lord? <laughs> serving the Lord is actually doing something. To serve the Lord. Coming to church is like, you know, remember at home like when your mama cooked supper and you would eat supper, right? And then she would ask you to take out the trash. Wash the dishes, right? Okay, so the part that, you know, coming to church would be sitting down at the table and eating the meal. Serving the Lord would be the taking out the trash and washing the dishes part. You see there. There's a lot of people, man, they are so convinced they're serving God by coming to church. It's not serving the Lord. That's being served by others, but it's not serving Him. Okay? So, again, the survey revealed only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. 50% of all church members have no interest in serving in any ministry. The remaining 40% express some interest in having a ministry, but have either never been asked or say they do not know how. Okay? Well, that's sad, isn't it? Amen. But not us. Praise God. <laughs> Alright, here's a section that um, we simply call a nation of priests. A nation of priests. If you will, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, please. Exodus chapter 19. Amen. Exodus chapter 19. Praise God. And we will begin at verse number 3. Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 3. Alright, so I'm not trying to put you on some kind of guilt trip or anything like that. I know uh, some of you come to Heritage, it's your home church. Others go to other churches. Amen. Help you, pastor. Amen. Serve the Lord by serving the people that you uh, attend church with. But then, you know, ministry needs to get um, outside of the four walls of the church where we actually begin to do things for folks who are, don't know the Lord, right? Amen. Serving the Lord. Now, a nation of priests. Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse number 3, it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. 
for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Alright. Now, to orient you on what's happening here, God has delivered His people from slavery in Egypt by His mighty hand. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He then drowned the Egyptians who pursued after them in front of them. They had a great celebration. And now it's about an eight-day journey to the Promised Land. Or as I like to say, their best life what God had given to them when He gave it to their ancestor Abraham. Right? Now, Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God to get instructions, marching orders, if you will, from God. And Father says to him, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Come on now. That's pretty cool God to say something like that about you. Anybody here interested in God saying, hey, you're a special treasure to me above all people. Right? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the plan of God was for the entire nation of Israel to become a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, if you will, a holy nation. Now, if I could give you just a little background, we see three distinct offices ordained by God in the Old Testament. We see the office of the prophet, the office of of the priest, and the office of the king. Amen. Now, in those offices, we see, kind of like the president here in our country, we have the office not of king, but of president. And when one president moves out of that office, either his term expires or he's served two terms and can't serve anymore, we, or he's not re-elected, we have another president that takes the office. So we see that there were many prophets over the decades in Israel that would come into that office, would die, and others would come into that office. We see the same with priests, and we see the same with kings. Now with each one of these offices, there came an anointing. And that anointing was represented by the pouring of a special recipe of anointing oil on the individual person's head. And it wasn't just a little small bottle with a little dab on the forehead. I mean, it, it doused them good. Amen. But there was no magic in the physical oil. The physical oil was symbolic of a spiritual anointing. 
where Father God would take a measure of His Spirit and place it upon those individuals to perform those offices, to do what He needed for them to do as, as men or women occupying the office of king, priest, or prophet. So we will use Elijah as an example. Elijah was a prophet. He had the empowerment of God, a measure of God's Spirit upon him, which empowered him to operate in the office of the prophet. And we see that along with that, there were signs and wonders. Did Elijah not perform some miracles? Yes, he did. He had an understudy named Elisha, okay? Instead of J-A-H-S-H-A. Elisha. Elisha wanted the mantle. In other words, he wanted the office of prophet once Elijah went to heaven. And Elijah told him, if you see me when I go, excuse me, he not only wanted the office, he asked for, who remembers this now, a double portion. He didn't just want one poured on his head. He wanted two measures, two portions of the Holy Spirit poured on him. And so he said, you ask a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken, you'll have what you ask for. And of course, we see, and that happened, and a double portion was given. And we see recorded in Scripture that Elisha performed exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. And perhaps one of the most astounding miracles in all the Word of God was when a soldier had been killed in battle and the enemy was after them and they buried him hastily by throwing him in somebody else's tomb and that somebody else happened to be the tomb of Elisha. And when that dead soldier landed on Elisha's bones, he was raised from the dead. Okay? All right. Say, so, do you believe that, Pastor Mark? Anybody in class this morning know what I'm fixing to say? I am all that. Amen. All right. Now, let's deal with that first. I understand someone's enthusiasm when they say, give me a double portion, but you don't know what you're saying. Because we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. We're in the New Testament. <laughs> and in the New Testament, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is given without measure. Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. All those who came before Him had a portion of the Holy Spirit placed upon them. Now that we have been born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And at that new birth experience, when He comes to live inside of us, if we will surrender to Him even further, He will flow up from you and, and, and baptize you in Himself. A total immersion. That's what baptism means, right? A total immersion in God's Spirit that lives inside of you now as a born-again believer. Alright, now... Hard for me to get that far without saying that. Now let's back up. A prophet, I'm not saying this is all he did, but you know me and liking to put things on a low enough shelf that anybody can take them with them, alright? 
A prophet's primary assignment was to speak to the people on God's behalf. A prophet represented God to the people. Amen? A priest had basically the opposite assignment. A prophet represented God to the people. A priest represented the people to God. Intermediaries. So God would tell the prophet what to say. The prophet would then deliver the message to God's people. God's people would come to the priest. The priest would then represent them before God. And they were anointed by God to do it. The king, I guess, is somewhat of the outlier here. The king was anointed. His primary responsibility was to make a decree. Amen? The king was to declare things. And if you see in Scriptures that if a king ever, if, if a king ever made a declaration, he couldn't take it back. Even if it was something he regretted. Couldn't take it back. Because he was anointed to make a declaration and the anointing on him was for whatever he declared to come to pass. Now David is a unique person in the Old Testament for many reasons. One of the primary reasons is he was a man way ahead of his time in his understanding of the love of God. We sing a song here at Heritage that a dear friend of ours wrote, Tom Roberts. And, and he, in that song, he talks about the Hasid of God. That's spelled H-E-S-E-D. It's the closest thing we have in the Old Testament to what we know fully now in the New Testament as the love of God. David understood the love of God. Now, we take so much of that for granted, but you've got to understand, in the Old Testament, there was a lot of that that they had, had not been revealed or understood yet. The other thing that made David unique is that David was anointed to operate in all three offices. King, priest, and prophet. If you recall, when Saul tried to do Samuel's job, he was rebuked for it. But not David. Jesus is referred to by many titles. One of His titles is what? The Son of David. Because Jesus again, came to this earth, Holy Spirit given Him without measure, as the ultimate King, Priest, and Prophet. Amen. Now, if we go back to Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 5 and 6, it's still on the screen here, we see the original plan of God was for the entire nation of Israel. Now some of you may know this already, some of you may not, so let's make sure we understand this. God singled one man out and one woman out, Abram and Sarai, also known now as Abraham and Sarah. He called them out from a place called Ur of Chaldees, where they worshipped all kinds of gods. He called Abram and Sarai out and He made a covenant with them. And that covenant was that all nations of the earth would be blessed by their descendants. We know that they miraculously conceived and gave birth to Isaac. We know that Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Esau. We know that Jacob then gave birth and his wives to the twelve tribes of Israel. The beginnings of a nation. 
Joseph was next to youngest brother. He wound up being sold into slavery by them into Egypt. And God did a miracle there. Joseph comes to almost uh, the most powerful man in the land, only man more powerful than him than Pharaoh. God reveals some things to him in a dream. He winds up saving that whole region from a, a famine that would have killed them all or, 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 or many, many, many of them. And we see that Joseph's family comes to Egypt. But remember their legacy. Remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. God remembers that covenant. He brings them out of slavery in Egypt. And the plan of God is for the entire nation of Israel to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Doing what? Representing the other nations of the world before God. A nation of priests to become priests for the other nations of the world. This was God's plan. We see that Moses comes down, he delivers the plan, but they would have none of it. Sounds like I'd have to do some stuff. Was kind of their attitude, right? I'm not sure I'm called. I'm not sure that's my personality. You know, the other nations of the world, those people give me the creeps. I don't know what excuses that they had, but for whatever reason, these folks would not do what Father God delivered them to do. They would not fulfill their purpose and their destiny. Now, if you've read the book of Revelation, we're going to see that they're going to get another swing at it, thank God, and they're going to do a really good job. But let's, we're not there yet. We're, we're before that, right? Okay, now. All right, guys, sorry about that. All right, so, amen. So here we are. Here we are. I'm not trying to lay you to sleep. I'm just trying to systematically walk you through this like a Philadelphia lawyer. Are you seeing what's going on here now? God's desire is for this entire nation to be priests to Him, but they would have none of it. So what did God do? God took one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, and He made the descendants of Levi's, the, the descendants of Levi, He made them priests, for the other 11 tribes of Israel. So we've now got one tribe representing um, the people uh, of God, before God, right? Um, so one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, have you ever heard of the book of Leviticus? Okay. Have you ever heard of the Levitical priesthood? That's a, just a fancy, typical on the end of that, right? It's Levi. They're all descendants of Levi. That's why Leviticus begins with L-E-V-I, right? So we have one tribe from the nation who are now priests for the rest of that nation. Alright? Now, this is important because Father has never given up on His plan to have a kingdom or a nation of priests active here on the earth. This is what I've learned about my Heavenly Father. Amen? I have learned that if He ever makes His mind up to do something, it doesn't matter how long it takes, or how much it costs, He will see it through to fulfillment. Now, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Praise God. Can you believe we're almost out of time for tonight? Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? Alright, praise God. I know it's been a little different tonight, but we're laying, we're laying some groundwork here that's really, really important. Have you seen yourself in here yet? Alright, so... Isaiah chapter 53, and um, praise God. 
I'm going to wait for you to turn. Those of you who, who are wanting to turn, I'm going to wait for you to turn there because we're going to we're gonna look as, as much of this as we have time to look at. All right? Isaiah 53, and we'll begin at verse number 1. It says this, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I feel like I need to say this. If you're here tonight and you're waiting for some kind of report back from the doctor, I've got good news for you. You already have a report. Okay? It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. That's for somebody watching online right now as well. 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, By His stripes you were healed. Okay? Amen. Don't wait till you hear what the doctor has to say to decide whether or not you're going to believe you're healed. Healed. Amen. Who has believed our report? So here's the problem. A lot of people don't believe the report of the Lord. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? My prayer tonight is that His arm be revealed to us. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. And He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem or value Him. Now, if you haven't figured this out by now, the, the prophet Isaiah was, had this revealed uh, to him, through him to us, um, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to the earth. Alright? So all of this is speaking prophetically of the Messiah who will one day come, our Messiah who has already come. Amen. Surely, He has borne our griefs. That word there, um, griefs, literally means Original language Hebrew means sicknesses. He has borne our sicknesses and has carried our sorrows. That word sorrows there in the original language Hebrew means pain. Pain. If you're in pain tonight, I have good news for you. Jesus has already bore that pain for you so that you would not have to bear it in your body. Yet we reckoned Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Think about this now. Everything that's going to be done to Jesus, there are people who are going to not only believe He deserved it, but believe that God is the one behind it. Verse 5. But He was wounded for our transgressions. That word for wounded literally means pierced through. Pierced through. Pierced through His hands. Pierced through His feet. Pierced through His brow. Pierced through His side. 
before that pierced with the Roman cat of nine tails. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word bruised literally means crushed. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him and by His stripes blows that cut in. Jesus didn't just have whelps on His back. Whelps on His back. Is it whelps or whelps? I can say it like, can't really tell if I'm saying T or P, right? Whelps with a P? Whelps on His back. Whelting is that stuff around the edge of the sofa, isn't it? Thank you. All right. He had blows that cut in to His back. He was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, and by His stripes we are healed. Now remember, He's saying by His stripes we are healed before Jesus went to the cross. Every person that was ever healed on planet earth after the curse came upon this earth was healed on credit for what Jesus would one day do. Every person who was ever forgiven for a sin was forgiven on credit pointing to the cross for what Jesus would one day do. Now we're on the other side of the cross. We don't say by His stripes we are healed. We say by His stripes we were healed. And like sheep we have gone astray. We have turned everyone, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Iniquity, by the way, is different from a trespass. A sin that would be considered a trespass would be... And I'm, Listen, a sin's a sin's a sin. I got that already. But an iniquity is the, is the most grievous kind of sin because it is a sin of willful disobedience. It's when you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted and yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So, opened, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of My people He was stricken and they made His grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This is not a riddle. This, all of this, Jesus fulfilled it. He died between two thieves, but he was laid in the freshly hewn tomb of a very wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, when you make, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Have you found yourself yet in here? Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 
All right, now. Let's look at, praise God, let's go to verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare His generation? For He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of My people He was stricken. Look at me for a moment. I'm going to have to explain this verse to you for you to really understand what it means. Okay? As Isaiah is giving us this picture, this prophetic picture of the suffering servant, of the suffering Messiah, as he's talking about all of these things that are going to happen to him, all of this abuse and rejection that's going to be piled upon him, the blows and, and the beatings and, 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 and the, the rejection and people saying God's doing it to him and all this stuff that he's rejected by God and so forth and so on. It, it should read something along these lines to understand this phrase. Who will declare His generation? Okay? And who will declare His generation? What that means is this. And on top of everything that He will suffer, He will suffer and die before having had the opportunity to take a wife and give birth to a child that will carry on His name. To them, this was a fate worse than death. To them, and, and again, unless you were raised in this time and in this culture, there's no way apart from the Holy Spirit helping us understand it that we can comprehend. But if you read the law carefully, you will see that if a, if, if a man had a brother, and let's say a married man, he dies before having a child with his wife, it was his older brother's responsibility to get that woman pregnant so that she could have a child. Are you following what I'm saying? This, this is, again, I know that's not our culture. That's not how we think about things. But if you, if you kind of let the Holy Spirit help you put yourself in their place, as they're reading this, the horrors of what he's going to suffer, the, the agony of what he's going to deal with, but this was a fate worse than death. This was a fate worse than a criminal's death. This was, this was the, a, a far worse humiliation than being stripped naked and tortured to death in front of people. To have died without anyone to declare His generation. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. So notice now, you're like, well, which one is it, Pastor Mark? I mean, was, was, was God the Father behind this? And, and, and as, as He was falsely accused of being in the beginning, but net, yet now it says, but notice it says, yet it pleased the Lord. You'll never, you'll never understand this until you understand redemption, right? What Jesus did, He did as a, as a sacrificial offering for you and me to His Father. So as, as horrible as all of this was for a loving Heavenly Father to watch take place in His Son, at the same time it pleased Him because this was what had to be done for you and me to be redeemed. This is what had to be done for us to be saved. It was either Jesus pay for our sins or we pay for them. And He paid for them. And so it was at the same time the most horrible thing that Father God has ever witnessed and at the same time the most beautiful thing that He's ever witnessed. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. There's no such thing as a grandchild with sons and daughters, with the offspring of God, right? But when he says he shall see his seed, he's saying, he's speaking of you and me, that God the Father will see the, the seed of Jesus. We were born of his seed. We are the seed of God. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been born from above. We've been born of His seed. We've been born of His Spirit. Amen. He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. 1 Peter chapter 2, please, and we'll finish right there tonight. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to put a bow on this. Amen. The Holy Spirit's going to help us do it in six minutes. All right? <laughs> I hope you were listening to everything I just said because we, we fixed to bring it home. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 9. You ready? But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Does this sound familiar to anything that we looked at over when they first came out of the land of Egypt and what God desired for the nation? He wanted a nation of priests. He wanted the entire nation of Israel to be a special people to Him that would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, but they refused. But remember what I told you? If Father God ever makes up His mind to do something or to have something, He doesn't care how long it takes or how much it costs, He will see it through to completion. My friend, we are that chosen generation. We are that royal priesthood. We are that holy nation of priests unto our God. This is you and me now as born again believers. We are now His own special people proclaiming the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We once were not a people. We, we weren't a people. In other words, you may have been Italian, or you may have been French, or you may have been Spanish, or you may have been African, or you may have been Anglo-Saxon. Or the, in other words, all of us together were not a people. We, we had our own backgrounds, and our own issues, and our own cultures, and our own kingdoms, and our own governments. We were not a people. But now in Christ, we are not only a people, we are the people of God. We once were people who had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Now let's go back. Isaiah 53. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare His generation? Who will carry on His name? Who will carry on His assignment? Who will keep His name on the earth 
and bear His name on the earth. Who will take up His cause? Who will take up His purpose? Who will take up His platform and go with it into all the earth? My friend, who will declare His generation? We are the generation Christ on planet earth. We will declare His generation on this planet. Amen. 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 Verse 10, When you make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed. How can He die having no seed and yet still see His seed? Because we are His seed. We are His seed and His days on planet earth are prolonged. He is the head and we are the body. Jesus Christ is still alive and well and He is still alive and well on planet earth because we are the body of Christ. We are generation Christ. We are that holy nation of priests that Father God has always longed to have. He shall prolong His days. Come on now. Hold your hands out. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. Because our hands have now become His hands. Do you see now when He said at the end of the Gospel of Mark that you will lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover? The days of Jesus laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering are not over, my friend. Those days are being prolonged because His seed is alive and well on planet earth. And now the purposes and the pleasures of God are prospering in our hands. They're prospering in my hands. They're prospering in your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So one more time. You are a chosen generation. Don't mistake this as saying you will be. It does not say you will be one day. It says you are a chosen generation. Find yourself now. Here you are. He's talking about you. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own special people. And you proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light who once were not a people. But my friend, we're now the people of God. We are the people of God. We, we, when we were born again, we received a new identity. We received a new nature. We received a new spirit. We became citizens of His kingdom. That's why we're in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen. i got 40 seconds. <laughs> John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, not the lastborn from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Father, thank You for this time together this evening. 
Thank You for Your truth, Lord. And we receive it, Lord. We receive it, Father, grafted into our souls. We receive it, Father, tonight with humility and meekness. We refuse to disagree with You, Father. If You say this is true about us, we humble ourselves and say, yes, and so be it. We refuse to argue about what we've done and what it seems like, looks like, or feels like, Father. Lord, if You say this is true, help us from this night forward to live our lives with the destiny and promise that these truths, Father, reveal to our lives, to our identity. Father, the devil's tried really hard to label us in ways that are demeaning. In ways, Father, that are less than. Ways, Father, that, that, that seem so weak and pitiful. But Father, we're not weak and pitiful. But we are mighty. We are mighty in God. We are more than a conqueror, Father. A conqueror may conquer a village, but someone who's more than a conqueror will wipe that village off the face of the earth. Father, we're not just here to pester the devil. We're here to destroy his works, Father. To make it like it never happened. It's who we are. It's who we became. It's who Jesus made us when He washed us in His blood and recreated us for the good works that You prepared beforehand. You saw us, Lord, doing these things. Father, You saw men and women in this room before they were ever formed in their mother's wombs. You saw them casting out devils. You've already heard them speak with new tongues. You've already seen them lay their hands on the sick and the sick recover, Father. It's who we are. It's who we are. Help us see ourselves the way You see us, Lord. Not in the light of our past failures. Not in, the li in, in light of the mistakes that we've made and the sins that we've committed and the failures that we've all experienced, Father. Lord, that's not who we are and we refuse, we refuse to get our identity from those things. We are who You say we are. We are generation Christ. We are a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. We are king priests. Ones to whom the Holy Spirit has been given without measure. Poured out on us, Father. We receive Him now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hold on, listen, listen, listen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.